what I love about this passage we're going to talk about, it's about authority. And authority sometimes in culture can be a dirty word, can uh, evoke some really negative images for us, because we might think of those who had authority in our lives, who didn't use their authority the way they should have. Maybe they uh, harmed us, uh, made us feel insecure, feel weak, um, or, or those in authority who didn't protect us. But when we come to the subject of authority, we see, when we, when we talk about Jesus, we have to also acknowledge his authority. And so we're going to be talking about how to align one aspect of this term authority, Jesus' authority, and, and, and something else that we usually separate from that idea. We're going to bring these two together today. Um, but speaking of authority, the encyclopedia. Does anybody remember the encyclopedia? Do you remember, like some, a few people? Did any, this, this is a good question. Does anybody actually still own encyclopedias? Nobody. Okay. Did you, but you grew up with them in your house, right? Uh, uh, we, we grew up with, with encyclopedias in our house. I remember my mom had purchased this, these group of encyclopedias, basically A through to Z, any subject that you want, and, and they were in a prominent place in the house. You could always go to it, and you can always trust the authority of the information that was in there, right? Um, usually because there was a select few people, uh, maybe even a publishing group, who redacted all this information, they edited all this information, and they said, A is for aardvark, and aardvarks eat ants, and then you trusted that information. You knew that aardvarks ate ants. Um, and I know that that was always the case for myself. I could always go to that information and trust the source um, however, in comparison now, we have Wikipedia. Now, who here knows Wikipedia? Who here uses Wikipedia regularly? Hey. So, so Wikipedia is, is obviously the same kind of idea, except that the premise for Wikipedia is a little bit different. So the premise for Wikipedia is that the information that you find on Wikipedia, it, it can be challenged. So people can edit the information that's on there. The idea being... That, that if there is a, an authoritative truth or something that's absolute, it's, it's going to be more so closer to the truth if a lot of people can speak into it, if they can actually challenge the authority of the information that's there. Now, they also have a group of people who edit the information, but generally, Wikipedia is open to the public, and you can do that. Now, isn't that just like anything else in society? Isn't that, or isn't it just like human beings in a sense? That as soon as we find something authoritative, we have to question its authority. It's just kind of in us to do that. We have to question whether or not it's qualified to have an authoritative voice in our lives. Um, and we can see that actually in the Bible, right? Genesis 3. Let's take that for example. Satan tempts Eve to challenge the authority of the voice of God. What did God tell you? Did God tell you the truth? So Eve is seduced. She seduces Adam to eat, of the, to eat of the apple as well. He eats of the apple. And then this corruption, this ability to object to authority is now seeped into each and every human being. So when we were in Adam, when we, we were all descended from that same corruption. And that ability to object to the authority of God was in each and every one of us. Now, 
We are in Christ. Christ died, we died with him. Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected with him, and now we are in Christ, so we're not of that same corrupted seed anymore. We have a new nature that doesn't object to the authority of God. You have a new heart that wants to follow Jesus. You're not motivated by shame anymore. You're motivated by love to honor God. But there are some times in your life where it certainly feels like you're still under the authority of sin. Sometimes in your thinking, you could feel like, or sometimes in your actions, you're like, that, that didn't act, that wasn't like somebody who's of the nature of God in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't seem like somebody whose nature has changed. And we can really, really wrestle with this and become overwhelmed by the idea that even though this has actually happened, we're still kind of struggling um, with living it out. And I mean, I could say right now, okay, we can have a message about, okay, this is how you follow God. This is how you follow God. And I can tell you all the steps to do it. But the fact is that you do have a heart that wants to follow after him. But we are still challenged with how we see ourselves in that light. I think actually the real challenge for us is how do we actually think about the authority of God? That would actually would be the thing that really affects how we continue to walk in the spirit and not be of the flesh. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, anyone carry Bibles? Anybody? If you have uh, on your phone or anything like that, if you have it on your phone, what I would love for you to do is to just look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. And Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26 talks to us about how to properly view Christ's authority. Because I really believe this. If we have a clear understanding of his authority in our lives, then this wrestling back and forth of whether or not we're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit can be resolved. So I'm talking about Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. And in there, Jesus talks about his authority. And, and he describes it very closely in Luke chapter 5, verse 24, actually. So if you actually have it open there, just scroll down to verse 24. We're just going to jump ahead and just look at that. And Jesus gives us qualifications for authority. Now, if anything is going to give you its qualifications for authority, right, or, or if you're going to challenge the authority of anything, you're going to challenge its qualifications. And here Jesus gives his qualifications. He says this, Luke chapter, four, Luke chapter 5, verse, 20, uh, verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And the rest of it says, he, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus gives his qualifications. He gives the set of acronyms behind his name, the reason for why he has authority. He says, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. So in other words, if you wanted to challenge the authority of Jesus in your life, if you wanted to, you have to challenge this truth. Are there ways... Are there ways in your life that you challenge Jesus' authority to forgive? And you could say, well, yeah. Maybe I have bitterness against somebody. Maybe there's somebody in my life right now I can think of who's wronged me, and I'm still kind of angry about it. Maybe that's a way that you challenge his authority. 
Or maybe it's your own self. Maybe that you're struggling with something else that you have done in the past, or even recently, and you're still angry at yourself or maybe beating yourself up about it. If you or have any unforgiveness or bitterness in your life, resentment, either against yourself or others, it actually stands in contrast to the authority of Christ to forgive. Because that's his qualifications. That's where his authority comes from. He has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And so this gets back to what I was saying before. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Christ. I love Jesus. I have a heart that wants to follow after him. But every once in a while, I feel like I'm under the control of the offense of what somebody did to me. Every once in a while, I feel like I'm under the control of the shame and the guilt I feel for things I did or did not do. Rather than feeling I'm under the authority and the freedom and the life and the peace that comes from Jesus. Can any of us actually confidently say that if we struggle with these things, that we're under the authority of Christ? Well, what I want us to gain from this passage this morning is something that is beautiful and wonderful about the authority of Jesus. And we're going to touch on that um, by looking at two people groups in this passage who I believe the author actually intentionally contrasted so that when we read it, we could see for ourselves how do we actually honor the authority of Christ in our lives. So we're going to look at that. It's in, it's, um, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and 26. But before we do that, um, I'm just going to pray for us and we're going to jump in. So let's pray together. Um, Jesus, it's not enough. It's not enough for me to reveal or talk about you in the Gospels. Any of us can read uh, the Gospels and, and, and discern who you are and what your authority is. That's not enough. We need your Spirit to help us discern your Word and to, uh, and to walk confidently in life and peace with you. So help us to do that this morning. I say in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, understanding the authority of Jesus in your life is very important because, especially understanding his authority to forgive, because God is the ultimate authority to deal with the problem of sin. God is the ultimate authority to deal with the problem of sin and offense in your own life. You are not the, the ultimate authority to deal with it. So we can find rest in that. And so we're going to learn a little bit about that here. We're going to learn about one group who I was talking about here in this passage who understood this. They understood um, a proper view of the authority of Jesus. So let me just read it to you. So on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by, oops, sorry. You guys noticed I was on the wrong, the wrong verse. Here, I'll jump back. So we're, sorry, we're on verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a mat, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. So I'm just going to pause there. Uh, and to give you some context on this, we, this is a great Sunday school story. We love to tell this to children. We love to talk about how Jesus healed this man. 
Um, but let's, let's get some context about what's going on in this story. Up until this point in Luke 5, Jesus is kind of on a roll. So he's going here, there, and everywhere in Galilee, and he's demonstrating his authority. Actually, Luke is doing a very good job, the, the author of this book, is doing a very good job of demonstrating how, how much authority Jesus has. He, he casts out a demon, so he has authority over demonic powers, over Satan. He touches a leper and heals him. So, so he has authority over the physical, but not only that, he has authority over the law, because the law said you don't touch a leper. You don't touch someone who's unclean. So he's demonstrating authority over the law now. And then he goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law. And what a miracle. He's showing he has authority over um, marital, marital strife, right? He healed the mother-in-law. That's amazing. So Jesus is going, he's doing all these things. But not only that, he goes out with Peter and co. They go, they go out to catch some fish. Peter says, hey, there's no fish to catch. Jesus says, oh yeah, there's fish to catch. Let down your net. They let down their net and they bring up so much fish that the, the, the net's about to break. So Jesus is demonstrating his authority over nature. So you notice we're on a roll here. He's starting to build up some steam. Then he brings us here to Luke 5. And I believe that there's a climax about to happen because anytime you read in the Gospels that the Pharisees show up, you know a clash is about to happen because the Pharisees are those who assumed authority based on their knowledge of the law. They had a pseudo-authority. They had a fake authority that they ruled over the people to condemn them and make them feel lesser than. But here comes Jesus, the one with ultimate authority. Grace and power and truth is revealed in him. And he is now in the house with Pharisees. And I love how it says that they came from all over Galilee and said they came from Judea. So Judea actually to go to Galilee where they are is about a day and a half by foot. So they're coming a long distance to try and see who this Jesus is. So you notice something's happening here, right? Something big is about to happen. So they're in the house, and these men bring a paralyzed man through the roof and lay him down in front of Jesus. These guys risked offense because the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are there, and they hold a lot of clout, right? They're big deals. But these guys don't care. They know that Jesus has the authority to heal their friend. They don't care about the, the offense that they might cause. You know, one thing I like to think about, too, in this scenario is, how come nobody thinks about the guys whose house it is? Right? It's like, I got a permanent roof, bud. Like, it's a permanent roof. How did you remove my roof? I spent a long time putting that clay down and that hay. Why did you? You know, no one ever thinks about that. They, they risk offense even to the homeowner, and they bring him down, and lay him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to them, says to the man, actually, Jesus, actually in the narration, it says that Jesus just kind of knows this to himself. He's, he's amazed by them, their faith, right? And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. I think it's such a beautiful picture because sometimes in our lives, we're looking for a scenario where everything is perfect when when things are going well for us, to say that we have faith. We're looking for a scenario when we do everything correct or somebody else does everything correct and we're like, wow, that person's got faith because they did this, 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 and this correct. These guys came in absolute brokenness. They took the roof off a house 
They brought a guy down in front of Jesus. They interrupted Jesus' teaching. And Jesus says, faith. It's so funny for us. We always assume that we need to go to Jesus when we have everything correct. I have it all sorted out. I have it all in place. Now I can come to you and, 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 and you would call that good faith and you would receive me and love me and you would heal me. But the opposite is, the opposite is true in this scenario. Jesus saw their brokenness. He saw their desperation. He saw the hopelessness of a paralyzed man and said, that's faith. I'm going to heal this individual. And he can do that because he has the ultimate authority to heal. He has the ultimate authority to forgive. Um, I'm remembering a story now when I was, <laughs> I remember a story now when I was about five or six, and there, there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of us who went to the YMCA for a summer camp. And my mom had enrolled me in that, and they had like swimming and stuff like that. And I had one of my close friends who I was, uh, who I was with, and I was following him around. And he brought me into the pool over to the deep end because he could swim. And he said, I'm going to jump in the deep end, and I'm going to swim to the other side. And since he was my only friend that was there, I watched him do it, and I said, okay, I can do it. So I jumped in the deep end. Well, I don't think it was too long before I felt the thrust of someone jump in the water beside me, actually touch the ground and come back up and pull me back out of the water. Uh, lifeguards see me jump in and they pulled me out. And I wasn't gasping for air or anything. Like, they just saw me struggling and so they pulled me back out. And they weren't rude about it. They just said, they just actually didn't say anything. They just kind of cleaned me up made sure I was okay, and then went back to their posts. And it was kind of humiliating, obviously. But the lifeguard in that moment had the authority to help me. They had the teaching, they had the training, they had the eyes, they had the vantage point to see someone in trouble. And they had the authority to do good to me and help me in that moment, and they did. That's our Lord Jesus. He's looking at our desperate situation. There's nothing that we can do to satisfy the requirements of the law. There's nothing we can do to come before a most holy God and say, we are worthy to be in your presence. No, we needed someone to jump in the deep end and pull us out. He had the authority to do it. And he did it for us because he loved us. Because you were worth it. What a beautiful thing. So many times we think about authority, we think about people abusing it, using the power to harm. But it's the authority of Jesus that invites us into a life of grace, where we can live a life of peace, where we can lay aside our shame and our guilt, where we can come before him boldly in whatever scenario we're facing and say, Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself. And he says, yep, no, you can't but that's why I'm here. That's why I did what I did. Because you couldn't do it. I did it for you. And he receives us in open arms. So it's so important for us to really understand. I think Hebrews verse 4 um, is such a powerful verse for us as believers. It says, uh, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
We got it. We have to take that verse seriously. He's our great high priest who can emphasize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. So he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be Dennis. He knows what it's like to be Robin. And he understands us. But more than that, obviously, he can save us as well. And then that same truth is so evident in um, Titus 2, verse 11 to 12, which I think is such an important verse for believers. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. You feel under the authority of sin? Do you feel under the authority of what you did or did not do? Do you feel under the authority of shame and guilt? Receive the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing you to to deny godliness. The grace of God will motivate you. His kindness will lead you to repentance, and you could step away from it. And continue to live in the life and peace of the Spirit and not feel under that authority. Because the truth is you're not. You are in Christ and you're under his authority. So step boldly in that. Um, now, I guess the, 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 most challenge, the biggest challenge for any of us in this scenario is, is that sometimes it can be easy for us to forgive ourselves in, in scenarios that we face, but sometimes, sometimes we have trouble forgiving others. And in this way, we can also challenge the authority of Christ to forgive. So let's look just very quickly at the rest of this passage. We're going to look at um, Luke chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. And we're going to look at this other group that's been contrasted, this other group who had a poor view of the authority of Jesus. And you know who we're talking about here. So let's just jump in. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? I'm going to stop right there. This is our group that that Luke is trying to contrast with. The Pharisees in this moment are looking at Jesus, and Jesus makes a comment that this man's sins are forgiven. They're like, Nope, you can't do that. And in some senses, the Pharisees are kind of right, right? Only God can forgive sins. But their their assumed and pseudo-authority based on the law clouded their vision of who was in true authority in that moment. They thought that their knowledge of the law, their knowledge of everything that God would require us to do, was the thing that set them apart from people who didn't know the law. And so this man was free to be condemned not saved or understood or forgiven. And we can do that too, can't we? We can set ourselves apart from others based on their actions or their understanding of God or the Bible or who Jesus is. You see, the Pharisees here, they're very tricky. What they're doing is that, or at least what they're doing is that they're kind of following along with the culture of the time. See, the culture of the time would assume that anybody who is a paralytic or somebody who is sick in body is somebody who got what they deserved. 
And they would base this kind of understanding basically on Exodus, 20, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. So we won't get into all of it, but basically in that verse it talks about how the sins of the fathers will be descended to, to gener- generation to generation. Actually, it says it's, gener- it's, it's passed down to the fourth generation. So the curses of what you have done in the past will be descended to you. And so they would look at the law, all 613 laws that they have memorized at this point, and see somebody in that scenario and say, well, they've failed. It's in the same breath that, that the disciples come to Jesus in another story in the Gospels, and they say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or, or, or his grandfather, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, no, it wasn't for any of those reasons, but it's to the glory of God, because I'm going to do something about it, and he heals a man. So their, their, their perspective of people who are in these desperate situations could be that, well, in some way, shape, or form, they are deserving of this. And so they're content to see this man suffer based on what their knowledge of the law is. In some ways, we can do that too. We can look at those who have harmed us or those who are harming others and say, they're not worthy of forgiveness. They're not worthy of me releasing the right to retribution against them or treating them with kindness. I got a story for you, and I got to be very careful with this story. I'm going to give you a bit of a disclaimer. Because it's about racism, and what I'm going to say about it is I want to be very clear about this, is I want to be very clear to say that racism is a human problem. We all deal with racism, or we can experience racism in, in, in different contexts. It's not a white problem. It's also a black problem, right? We all can do this. We can all step outside of our boundaries and, um, and, uh, and persecute each other based on the color of our skin or our different origins. Uh, but I was with a group of people. I was at a worship band. It was a worship band right out of my youth group. And uh, we were a pretty proficient worship band. And we actually got the opportunity to, uh, to travel and some other youth groups uh, in some rural areas asked us to come out and do worship for them. So, so we came out and we did worship for those groups. And it was a lot of fun. We just, I just remember just being an absolute blast. And, uh, and one night we'd actually finished, uh, it, was, it was like a sort of a Wednesday night, I think. We finished a program and we were going to travel back to Ottawa. So Ottawa was where I grew up. So we were sort of in rural Ottawa at the time. And we were going to drive back home sort of late at night. And we, we were like, okay, let's go to this truck stop and get something to eat because we're hungry. Because we didn't see the Golden Arches anywhere nearby. That's the only place you stop to eat late at night, right? Uh, so, so we stop at this one place and we come in, a group of us. And it's pretty crowded. Sort of like a bar kind of truck stop area. It's a fairly crowded place. And there's a lot of big music, lots going on. You really can't see people that well. Um, but I could tell I'm the odd man out for a particular reason. And we're coming into this area, and, we're, and then we had to stop to be seated. And I heard somebody using a term, a word, that I usually only hear in rap songs, because um, it's about early 2000s, late 90s, so they're using it uh, pretty regularly. Uh, but in this way they were using it, it wasn't in a nice way. And I knew it wasn't in a nice way. And considering the group of people that I was with, I was like, uh, that's the N-word, but it's not nifty. You know, it wasn't like neat or something like that. It, w- it was another way of describing it. And I, I looked at my friends and even with my group of friends, like 
I'm, I'm the only one who would probably be deserving of that term. And my one friend who's with me got real mad. So he started yelling out across the room to this guy in the back who was, who was yelling that term to me. And I seen things were getting kind of heated. And I was kind of a little shocked because I was, I've never usually encountered this before. So I turned to my friend and I said, listen, let, let's get out of here. Let's just leave. I don't think we're supposed to be here. So we just got together. We left and went to the car. Most awkward drive home, let me tell you. Super awkward. But it was for weeks upon weeks upon weeks following that event where I would go over the entire scenario in my mind. And you've been there before. Where I thought to myself, I should have done something. I should have got really mad. Like I should have pulled a Jesus and started flipping tables right? Like I should have got really upset and, and, just, and demonstrated that, you know, I was in control of the situation. But in that moment, I was out of control. Like there was nothing I could do about it. And it was probably the most unsafe thing for me to actually engage the individual. But I was mad at myself and it would bother me. At, at one point, it actually woke me up out of, out of my sleep at night because I was so mad about it. And, and the Lord brought me to a place where I could find some healing from the scenario, because I couldn't go back and correct it. It was just over. But I was so overwhelmed. I was under the authority of what I should have done and didn't do, as under the authority of the offense. And Jesus pointed me to um, uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse, 20, verse 2. It says this, Jesus, he, is a propitiation for our sin, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Like, that verse enough, right? I mean, even without the whole part about the sins of the world, even that for enough is like, oh, thanks, Jesus, I really appreciate that. But no, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus brought me to a place where he, he led me to understand this, that, that the sin that you are so upset about, I paid the price for that. Matter of fact, I paid the price for that man. I paid the price for him and I suffered a great penalty for him, and I suffered a great penalty for you. And I want you to accept that. I want you to accept it, that that penalty has been paid, rather than me feeling like I had to go out and get justice. See, propitiation is a great word, because propitiation actually means, um, um, the theologian Stanley J. Grant says it like this, it says, it's the offering that turns away the wrath of God from sin. So Jesus was the offering that turned away the wrath of God from that man's sin against me and from my sin against God. Because you see here, sin ultimately is an offense to God. In its nature, it's a complete rebellion against him. And so he ultimately has the authority to deal with it. And he did. But it was my responsibility in the moment to say, okay, this offense, I'm letting it go. I am releasing the right to retribution. And I'm not going to pursue justice anymore. Because the truth is that it was love robbing me of life and peace. It was. I was no longer under the authority of Christ and his forgiveness and his grace. I was under the authority of this. It was robbing me of sleep. It was robbing me of how I thought about myself. And in that moment when I was able to release it, I was able to enter into walking in the Spirit in this way. Now, 
Isn't unforgiveness a great burden? All of us can think about times in your life where you've considered these things, things other people have done about you, done to you, or said about you, and you're carrying this burden. Isn't it a great burden for us to carry? And the truth is that it is too big of a burden for us to carry. Why? Because the authority, the responsibility, the power to deal with sin wasn't yours to carry. It was his. So Jesus wants us to release the right to retribution against those who harm us so that we can walk in life, in peace of the spirit that God has actually purchased for us. Now, this is challenging, right? Because at the same time, too, there was a taking away. There was a wound. There was something that in my life I actually have to deal with. You know, I, this, this, is, this is really challenging in this sense because, um, because every day I would still think about it. There were times where it would still come to mind. And it's like, well, no, I can't do anything to fix it. But if I could release the right to retribution in the moment, I can step out from the authority of what I was always upset about and actually continue to live my life boldly for him. You know, um, I watched this one documentary recently. It's a really challenging documentary. Um, and it was about somebody who was, uh, who was, who was sexually abused. And, and, and obviously not to make light of it, but this individual said, said this boldly at the end of the documentary. They said, the person I hate the most, I think about them the most. Think about them every day. But they also said that forgiveness in that moment for them wasn't about them, wasn't about them fixing things with that person. Because actually in this point, they couldn't. And no one would recommend that they would. But they, they acknowledged that forgiveness was for them so that they could live their life and not be under the burden of what happened to them. And that was, and when I heard that in the documentary, I was like, that's so true. Like, I just, like, I could receive that because I knew that for myself. There's things that you can't forget that happened to you. But it's not about forg forgive and forget. It's about forgive and remember. Remember who paid that price for you. Uh, remember, uh, <laughs> remember who cares for you in this moment, who has the authority to do good to you. And that's what our next point is. And just quickly... Um, this is just our last point before we close. I'm just going to look back at Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start at um, verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And actually, I like how it says this. It says, and immediately... He rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, for we have seen extraordinary things today. So, so many great things just in that last bit of that passage there, right? He gets up immediately, because the paralyzed man could have thought to himself, wait, 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 this is just a man. He can't forgive sins. I'm not going to listen to what this guy says. He can't make this comment. But he had enough faith in the moment to say, Jesus said, my sins are forgiven. He says, I get up and walk. I'm going to do it. And his reaction was, immediate, he got up. The grace of God, the authority of Christ to forgive, he could receive it. And in that moment, he was healed. So he was able to get up. It's beautiful. But I also love, too, how it says that all of them, everybody that was in that room, so all is a complete description. Everybody in that room saw the glory of God displayed. And they were amazed by it. 
In this moment, the paralyzed man had to receive the truth that Christ had the authority to do good to him. Not only did he have the authority to forgive sins, but he had the authority to do good to him, and he accepted that, and he was able to get up and move on with his life. Now, I've got to be very careful based on what we've just been talking about, too, because what I'm not saying is that I'm not dismissing our emotions, right? People harm us. People, uh, people harm us, and we have hurts, and we have wounds from us, some bigger than others. And I'm not dismissing your emotions because those matter. Matter of fact, the sin done against you has a value. It actually has a value, and the value was Jesus' life. So it is not something that we're supposed to dismiss. It actually has a legit value. But the value was that Jesus was a propitiation. He was an offering of, um, of wrath, um, an offering to turn away the wrath of God. And so in saying that, too, what I'm not doing is I'm not saying, well, if something's happened to you and it was of a legal or uh, a legal fashion of any way, shape, or form, that you should just brush it off because of that. You know, if something happened in that way, shape, or form, then you um, do have to go through due process in that scenario. But this is about us starting to live our life free of condemnation, guilt, um, bitterness, resentment, and most certainly unforgiveness. Now, Jesus gives back to this man. He gives back what was taken. And, and it's such a blessing that he would do that. Because in this scenario, remember, we were talking about culture at this time. This paralyzed man was outside of culture. It was an agrarian society, so he couldn't farm. He had to have people prepare things for him. He was totally outside of culture. But Jesus not only healed him, but he returned this individual to culture. He actually restored their life. He changed that individual's identity in full. We can, you can't even begin to fathom um, what that would mean, because obviously we have social care in our time, in our culture, but at that time, that was a revolutionary thing that happened to him. And so sometimes in our, in our scenarios where people do harm to us, we say, okay, well, yeah, I'm supposed to forgive them, but what about me? Well, what's going to happen? How is, who's going to take care of me if this happens, if, um, if, I, if I forgive them? How, how am I going to be healed from this scenario? Um, it makes me want to turn just very quickly to Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. To 28. Uh, and this just, just gives a quick picture of the authority of Jesus really quickly. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this in Matthew. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must actually be your servant. And whoever should, would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we can trust Christ, if we can trust Jesus to forgive ourselves and to forgive others, we can also trust that his ultimate, his ultimate authority that he possesses is actually for our benefit. We could trust him to be good to us. We could trust that what's been taken to us would be returned. Uh, the word authority actually means out, like um, the actual uh, Greek actually means out of privilege, out of power. It's the word exousia. So out of his power, out of his right, 
to bless. He's choosing to bless us. That's, that's part of his character. He's come to serve. And so we're not just forgiving others and saying, okay, well, that's fine. I have to live now in self-pity and despair about what's happened to me. No. Now we could step out, under, from, out from under the authority of the offense that happened to us. Now live under his authority to do good to us. And trust him to restore what was taken. In that scenario that I told you about the truck stop, what was taken from me? Uh, maybe dignity in that moment. Maybe a sense of self-worth. Maybe my own personal security, because now I'm thinking twice about, well, who would ever say something like that to me? And maybe that would happen again. But what I realized is that in my relationship with Jesus, a lot of the things that were taken to me have already been restored. I have, through the power of his spirit, I have peace that surpasses all understanding that I have access to so I can rest at night. I have his love. I don't have the potential in my own ability to love individuals who do that. But through the power of Christ in me, I have his spirit that's not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so I have access to that to be able to love those who harm. And I also have joy, joy overflowing, endless joy that is also my strength. All of these things have already been restored, but yet in our lives we can trust him to restore even those finer details of things that we may have lost that, that those have taken from us. And we can be encouraged because in every way, shape, or form, the things that would have limited us from God's blessing are what? Sin. What else would limit you from God's blessing? If you read Deuteronomy, the only thing that would, would turn away the blessing of God is if you didn't follow all the points of the law. But then in Romans 5, sorry, in Romans 8, it says this. It says, but he has met the requirement of the law in each and every one of us. He's already completed the requirement of the law, not just for us, but in us. So the one thing that would separate you from the blessing of God in your life has been removed, has been taken care of. He became sin. He became a racial slur. So if that man ever wanted to receive it, he could become the righteousness of God. Jesus became my sin so that when I chose to receive it, I became the righteousness of God. The authority to do good to us, the authority to love humanity, the authority to jump in the deep end when everything is a mess. If there is anything that is on your heart right now that is it's overwhelming to you and you don't know how to deal with it and you're assuming that in your ability you can do it. Be reminded, Romans 8 says, there is nothing in your flesh that could satisfy the requirements of the law. There is nothing in your ability that you are capable of doing to fix anything. Please, take it to heart this morning, his authority to do good to you. Release the right to retribution against yourself Release the right to retribution against others and step out boldly in his authority to live now a life of peace. No longer under the authority of sin, not under the authority of people's offenses against you, not under the authority of, um, of condemnation. You're no longer shame-motivated. 
Now you're motivated by love to live a life of peace. Um, so what I want to do in closing right now is I, I because this, this could be a heavy topic, and I know it's, it's a great way to just kind of open up a wound and then leave it. Um, but, but what I want to encourage us to do, what I want to encourage us to do is, is just trying to take a moment right now. And, um, and I'm just going to just say a prayer blessing over you, but you don't even have to listen to what I'm saying. I'm just going to speak a blessing over you. But if, if you need to release the right to retribution against yourself for something in, just in particular, and just say, Jesus, this is something I'm struggling with. I have a lot of shame about this. How do you want to address this? How do you want to deal with this? Present it to him this morning. If there is somebody or a situation that you're having trouble dealing with when it comes to forgiveness or bitterness or resentment, maybe you want to release the right to retribution against somebody in this moment. Just present it to Jesus. Jesus, I release the right to retribution so that this wouldn't have control over me. I understand the pain is there. I understand that it's there. It might be there with me my whole life, but I don't want it to control my life anymore. I want to give it over to you, and I want to come under your authority. So I want to invite you to do that. Um, but even in this moment, if you have trouble receiving um, the fact that God wants to do good to you, I would invite you now to tell him. Be honest. Ask him to reveal the truth of his heart of love towards you and trust him to answer. So let me just speak a blessing on you and you can just close our eyes quietly and, and then we can go afterwards. Look at your children. These are your children. You love your children. You're delighted with them. You understand them. You know their hurts. You know what's coming. You know what's past. But you have the authority to help them. And so you, and so you have, not only in the past, 2,000 years ago, but right now in this moment, you're present to help them because you are alive and well and you have the authority and the power to do good. So, Daddy, these are your kids. Bless them today. Help them to be aware that you're singing over them. Help them to be aware that your angels are about them. Help them to be aware today that the future is bright because of you and what you've done. I speak a blessing on them right now in your most holy name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for your time. It's collect your children time. Um, so feel free to do so. Um, but I, I would just like to invite you, if you would like to uh, maybe even talk through some of, some of the things that were shared this morning uh, uh, with my, uh, myself, uh, I, I'm glad to do that and I'm glad to pray for you as well. But thank you so much for your time this morning and, and have a great Sunday.